Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Um, Lord God, it is so, it's such an honor to be with you and with our family uh, on mission in this capacity. Um, Lord, we praise your holy name. And Lord, we pray that you would receive through this time together the full reward for your suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, I know that I have a word from the Lord this morning for us, if for no other reason, because of Kiara's direction with her worship song selection and the selection of the reading. We didn't talk, <laughs> and you'll see the overlap, and that's, that's really cool. Um, I also feel like uh, the Lord is saying from um, Isaiah 49 that uh, he is shining his light on that which binds you, and that he is setting you free, and that that was happening during worship. And so um, I just believe that that's for at least someone uh, online and or here this morning. <clears throat> and so uh, if you guys who are with me uh, can stand, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And if you would read out loud together with me, uh, Joel has been teaching us that it could help us to focus on what we're reading. Um, and, uh, and also I like, I like to read together as a family, so... Let's read together. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, as Jesus writes this, it's about 35 years since this church became a church. You see, in one of Paul's missionary journeys by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, and we reread this, you can fact check me, it's in Acts 19 or 20, um, where the church in Ephesus was born by signs and wonders and miracles. They put their faith in the power of God and um, became a church. And then Paul writes in about 60 AD, about 30 years prior to this message from Jesus, okay? So about 30 years prior, Paul writes this message to the church in Ephesus. And I reference that because unlike Paul's other letters inspired by Holy Spirit, um, that are letters responding to circumstances, right? 
letters of correction, letters of warning against the false gospel, um, letters about arrogance, you know, that has seeped into the church. You know, he's addressing things. Unlike that, with the church, to the church in Ephesus, he writes about the greater things. He writes about building on their fervency. He writes about building on the sure foundation that they're standing on as a thriving church. And so he's able to talk to them about the greater things. And I believe as a church family here at the Gospel Tab and in the movement of which we're a part, that we're in renewal. We just had these movement meetings that Joel, where Joel um, addressed what God is doing in North America, not just in our church family, but of which we're a part. And it's this vibrant renewal, praise God. It's all by His grace. And I believe that though we're not a perfect church, that God wants us to build on this sure foundation and that this is a word for us this morning. And so, because Jesus says, do what you did at first. You forsaken first love, do the things you did. What did they do? We get an insight into that through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Because I believe that they received by faith the word of God written to them. And I believe that they walked that out for a season. And we don't know how long they walked it out before they started to, in John Weber's words from last week, drift. But they walked in their sonship. Paul prayed for them in this letter. I, I pray that you would be enlightened in your heart by the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would encounter or know the hope, the riches of your inheritance, the power of the resurrection that works so greatly toward you. I believe they did. <laughs> I believe they walked in that for a time as a church, that they walked in that power, that they reached people through the power of the gospel for salvation. I believe that they walked in the riches of their inheritance, the joy of the Lord that's their strength. I believe they encountered what else Paul prayed, which was, that they would know, that they would encounter the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Joel said earlier in uh, one of our movement meetings this week, he said, love is in the mystery. That's where trust is. It's not in what we know or understand. And I love that. This mystery, this mystical, ecstatic union with our creator God through faith in Jesus Christ, that this be an experience of his love, a relationship, fellowship. Well, he addressed that too with the church in Ephesus, right? He talked about this mystery, that Christ is bridegroom, like we sang, right? And that we are bride. He doesn't talk about that in other letters to other churches, not because it wasn't true for them, but they were ready to hear this and walk in it because of where they were in renewal. This is God's call on us as the church since the beginning, is to walk in this fellowship, to walk in this first love, to walk in this union. And when we do, when we walk in the fullness of this sonship, as we experience the Father's love as a people, we're ready to hear messages like, cultivate apostolic teams, to do what you see he's telling you to do and to build structures that are, con are conducive for people to do the works, for every single person to do the works of ministry to which they're called. 
And God is giving us in this day at the gospel tab and in our movement vision of what to build and how to build it. These structures that what? That are conducive to mobilizing every believer to do that which they're called to do. Do we have it figured out? No. We talked in those meetings this week. We don't really know. We're taking step by step as we follow Jesus. But God in his grace is doing that among us. You know the works, you know what the, the Nicolaitans taught? The Nicolaitans, some Bible students believe, taught that uh, they taught the term clergy and laity, separating and elevating leaders from the rest of the body of Christ. Jesus hated this. It was written nowhere in the New Testament, and he was really glad that the Ephesians hated it too. You see, when we know that we're all level at the cross, not just in our value, not just in our calling and our identity in Christ, not just in theory, but when we know we're level at the, at the, at the cross with one another, we start to ask, what is your function? What is your purpose? What part do you play in the body? Why? Because every part is just as important as the other part. I need you. You need me. We need each other to move forward in the fullness of unity, to be able to build ourselves up in love, and to do as the church in Ephesus did and was still doing when Jesus spoke this to them, which was to put on the armor of God, discern their enemy, and protect the flock from false apostles and false doctrine, right? He says, you're doing this great. And so I just want to exhort us this morning, brothers and sisters, that we have an amazing opportunity and that it hinges on this, to remain in, to cultivate first love. It's all dependent on first love. Joel said one of the things, I keep referencing these movement meetings we had this week, but this is fresh. This is what's going on right now, right? So, but Joel said as he's meeting more folks who are in this renewal in North America and, and learning from Jesus and following him in this, that um, the one thing that everyone has in common, the expressions are so vastly different, it's obsession with Jesus. It's his presence is primary. You know, when our, it's our first value, Christ-centered, Right? So, Jesus tells the Ephesians in the first couple verses, he really encourages them, right? I mean, I would be encouraged here in these first couple verses. Hey, you're doing great at these things. You're enduring. You're persevering without weariness. It's like, wow, <laughs> that's great. Um, he's also said, he also says, as I mentioned, you're protecting the flock from false apostles. You hate the teachings of the Nicolaitans, that's great. He says, but then he goes on to say, but you have left your first love, and I hold this against you. And you don't get a sense from Jesus that it's the same as, you know, like a hitter in baseball. Good job, you batted three for four. Um, <laughs> and you don't get a sense that Jesus is just saying, uh, just reprioritize the list, and then you'll be okay, when he says the word first. The word first is first, and it also means chief or primary. No, you get more of the sense that he's saying what 
Holy Spirit said to the church in Corinth when he said, you can do all this stuff, but have not love. And it amounts to nothing. Or what Jesus said when he said, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If we don't do it from love, brothers and sisters, if we're not cultivating first love from which we do ministry, that from which is our motivation, or for which is our motivation for ministry, then our ministries won't be effective. The fruit won't be lasting. The works will be in vain. Will Jesus still love us? Will we still be saved? Yes. <laughs> but we want to reach more people. We're after a harvest, effective fruit, and it's rooted in first love. One commentator said about this passage that where the love goes out, the light goes out. You know, the lamp represents the effectiveness of ministry, and Jesus gives a parable about the oil and the lamp, right? Jesus says, those who are wise buy oil and have oil to keep their lamps burning. And that the lampstand or our minister, that which represents our ministries, or the oil, rather, uh, let me step back. The oil represents the Holy Spirit or fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So cultivating intimacy, being in fellowship with Holy Spirit. Um, and then the lampstand represents ministry. And if we don't have oil, if we're not cultivating fellowship with him, then we won't have light for our, our lamp. Our ministries won't be light. And Jesus says they'll be taken away. I think what he's saying is, like, it's, it's not useful. <laughs> and so, you know, I used to think, uh, you know, God, family, then work. You know, I would just put things in order growing up. And even into my early adulthoods, that would play out in the way I related to Jesus. I would, I would be with Jesus generally first in my day, but then I would put him on the proverbial shelf and, you know, and go about my day. I, I had a moral compass because I was a believer in Jesus, but, you know, still, uh, you know, this, this way of thinking was evidenced immaturity, uh, but it also evidenced from, in my life uh, a divided heart. What I'm not saying is don't spend your first part of your day with Jesus. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing to do in and of itself. But in my life, at that time, um, I was compartmentalizing my life, and it evidenced a, div a divided heart. And so, you know, as I grew, uh, I, I came to realize through love encounters with Jesus and healing, um, breakthrough, that it's, you know, put God first in all things, right? But now, more than ever, I really believe it's be loved by Jesus. Receive his love that you can live from his love in each present circumstance. Well, John Weber did a great job last week in his sermon, and he talked about practical drift that happens in companies relative to safety, um, that people start to wane from the rules um, and the policies. Uh, and we can often experience this in our spiritual health Two, as the church in Ephesus evidenced. And, you know, one reason we drift, as I just mentioned, is that we have divided hearts that have ha that's happened through wounds and lies that have occurred over time in our lives. Some we know about, some we don't. And so these are blocks to God's love, right? 
And whether we don't believe or didn't know that healing was available for these wounds, or we fear by the lie of the deception of the enemy that, that these are too painful to face, or we're too familiar with them that we would be afraid to give up what we were familiar with for the unknown. I just want to speak truth to us this morning, brothers and sisters, that healing is available to you, that the lies with which you're partnered or that oppress you do not serve you, but they hurt you. And that the unknown on the other side of healing is better than what you're experiencing now. And that's because of the character of Jesus. That's because of the character of Jesus. All love comes from God. And therefore, where we have, blo- we have to receive love in order to give love. All love comes from God. 1 John 1, 7. And so, where we have those blocks, one way we cultivate in- intimacy is we contend against those wounds and lies, against the wounds for our healing, against the lies for our freedom. And, and uh, one way to do this is to seek prayer from people you trust, from ministries you know to be safe, relative to inner healing and deliverance. Jesus calls deliverance the children's bread. This is, it's, it's opportunity to be free, and it's what the inheritance is that the Ephesians laid hold of in the early days for a time was uh, the power of the gospel to be free and to be whole. So that's one way. It's to contend. And I want to share two other ways soon. But before I do, I want to talk about what is this love like? What is God's love like? You know, it's rooted in his character. And authors in the scriptures, from prophets to songwriters to kings to apostles, have been trying to find language in our Bibles for what their experience of God's love like is like, or through what God said to these prophets, uh, who he is and what that means about his love. And so, for instance, the first time that the Lord reveals himself as bridegroom is through the prophet Hosea to the northern kingdom of Israel, who at the time was divided with Judah. These are God's people, and they're divided. The northern kingdom in Israel, the southern kingdom in Judah. He says to Hosea, through Hosea to his people, I will betroth you to me forever in faithfulness and in compassion, in righteousness and in justice. And then get this, 10 to 20 years later, he speaks to his people, Judah, through Isaiah. And he says to them, same time period, same generation, he says to them, I have called you Hephzibah, my delight is in her. And I will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Indeed, God was giving his people. They said they were divided. God's like, I don't care. (laughs) I say you're my people. And I'm showing you in this time, my appointed time, my bridegroom identity and your bridal identity. And he's revealing that to us in this time as well. Um, Tim, if you could show on the screen the first passage. Um, Before this, I want to speak to uh, the Song of Solomon, 
where the bride says to the bridegroom, you know, in the Song of Solomon, it's, it's literally Solomon and his bride, but it's also in the prophetic sense about Jesus and his people. And so in light of that prophetic reality, listen to what the bride says about the love of Jesus. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench this love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. And guys, this is a love that when it's experienced, is talked about like this. One thing I ask from the Lord. Guys, we read this this morning. God's speaking. Kiara and I didn't talk about these passages. Um, how many Bible verses are there in the scriptures? Bonus points this morning for how many verses there are in the Bible. There's 66 books. All right, we won't get into it. But the same verse. So hear this word from the Lord is a fresh word, even as it's a written word this morning. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Tim, if you can go to the next one. I'm just going to read from the middle down. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. This is what God's after. And like Kiara said, now with unveiled faces we behold his glory through the, the new covenant that is greater than the one that David was under. Experiencing God's presence. Better is your one, one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. This is the result of tasting and seeing the manifest presence of Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words to us in Song of Solomon chapter 6. In chapter 7, turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. How beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love. In the last nine months or so, the Lord has been giving us a revelation of Him as bridegroom. One of the ways that manifested is this song that Kiara chose. This is crazy. But one of the ways that that manifested was this song. Um, that came, you know, to the body of Christ. uh, And, you know, we started uh, praising into this word uh, through that song that we sang at the end there. And, um, you know, but also one of the ways that that this has manifested is the experience of him and his love for us uh, has been tears. It's been a year of tears in the spirit. What I mean is not emotionalism, but God's tangible, weighty presence coming on us and moving us to tears in his love for us, in his consuming zeal for the bride. And um, this was happening to me at council, our general council, a general assembly of our association of churches, the Christian Missionary Alliance. It happened to me at a number of consecutive services. Finally, Jake was like, dude, you need to bring some Kleenex to the evening service tonight. You know, I was just, I was a mess. And it was a good mess. (laughs) Um, Just, and that's what I felt, this sounds weird, 
but I felt like a bride. I felt so loved by Jesus, and I felt his consuming zeal for his church in such a way that it was hard to sit under that glory, that zeal, that burning of his love. And um, it's his tangible, weighty presence. You know, it reminds me of when he was in the temple courts and uh, he made a cord, he made a whip out of cords. And um, how dare you make this a place of business? My house of prayer, my father's house. You know what prayer is, brothers and sisters? It's this fellowship, it's this intimacy. He is zealous, in the, and, and the disciples saw that, and they said, they, they were reminded by the Spirit of God of what was written in the Psalms, that zeal for your house consumes me. You wonder why angels and saints are adoring Jesus nonstop in heaven. Imagine being in the fullness of his presence and knowing him fully. It's like being electrocuted with love. I mean, what else are you going to do? <laughs> think about it. You know, think about what I just described and how God manifests himself to us today. It's just a little itsy bitsy taste. <laughs> it's just a foretaste of what this love is. I mean, come on. I hear, I hear us sometimes talk about, you know, can you imagine? Like, wow, wouldn't you get tired of that? No. <laughs> we, we wouldn't. And there are moments, you know, that I, I, you know, think we would too. I'm just saying, like, we wouldn't. <laughs> but, um, you know, whether you've tasted and seen and longed for more, or you long to taste and see, I hope that this word encourages you and washes over you with God's love. You know, I referenced blocks earlier. God, when he comes to us, comes to us in so many ways, and it's just dependent on where we are in our faith journey. It's dependent on our personalities and who we are. So when you hear how God manifests to one person, and if he doesn't to you that way, it's, he, wants to, he may want to relate to you differently. Maybe you'll have that same experience down the road. But the point is, he loves to come to us and meet us, whether it's his kindness leading to repentance like the church in Ephesus here. This isn't God's rejection. It's not his condemnation. He's not threatening them to lose their salvation. He's saying to them, turn back to my face. Turn back to my face. In my love for you, I have what's best for you. And as much as I want you to be with me, I want to be with you. <laughs> you know, I want to do this with you. That's the other impression we've been getting in times of worship and prayer. That he just loves to do this with us in partnership. And so, uh, but however he comes, he's so gentle. I shared with you a story uh, just about how God's meeting me in his love. Well, I want to share with you a story, uh, a very recent story of how he met me for healing. So I was positioning myself to receive from the Lord. So, you know, the last story I shared, he's kind of sneaking up on me <laughs> and ministering to me. And like, I'm just like, where is this coming from? And what does it mean? 
Um, but in this story, I'm, I'm positioning myself at the river in New Brighton just to receive God's love, just to be delighted in, to delight in Him. And I'm just waiting on the Lord in prayer. And all of a sudden, I get this uh, gratitude um, that the Lord starts to speak to me about. And it's this gratitude for uh, Michael and Brooke Witterman. And who, especially in my late teens to my late 20s, uh, really pointed out in me what I didn't see in myself and constantly was drawing that out and calling me up. And um, it was such a source of encouragement to me. I felt like God was saying, like, call them and honor them and thank them. And so I gave uh, Michael a call, hoped to get him on the phone together. He wasn't there. And then I got broke and started to share with her. And I'm just like, I start to weep as I'm like trying to talk to her. I only have crying stories today. And I'm only crying today. <laughs> so, um, no, but so I'm sharing this with her. And then the Lord starts to overwhelm me with this gratitude that we, brothers and sisters, are part of an end times movement. We are part of an end times church. And that those years, those formative years in which, you know, Brooke and Michael were calling stuff out of me, God was freeing me from, like, dead church. He was not only freeing me from my own issues, but he was freeing me from just where there was no life. There was no first love. There was these righteous acts and these, you know, practices, not, in and of, not that they in and of themselves are bad or that we don't even need them. But they were absent of first love. And I remember back to a particular season in the life of our family where we went through a very painful church experience that lasted over time. Um, and um, I was in my adolescence during that time, and the Lord was revealing to me. This is all like I'm on the phone, and it's happening in moments. You know, like I'm, I'm grateful that we're part of this end times movement and what God's doing. And, um, you know, guys, when I say end times movement, I'm, I'm just saying... Um, part of the, this, the, the church that will usher back King Jesus, that we get to join in that work, whether it's in our lifetime or not, you know what I mean? Um, and so from his love kind of thing. And so, uh, but the Lord reveals to me that the enemy tried to steal your calling through that experience, through that time in, in, in how your family was hurt. And so Brooke Sorry, I voiced this to Brooke. She starts to pray for healing from trauma uh, over me. And um, I get off the phone. I'm weeping and wailing now. And I just, uh, as I settle down, I begin to forgive again this new revelation um, of how uh, I was affected personally through, I mean, I had forgiven, you know, this leader and, and so forth and their family but uh, before, uh, but this was a new revelation. And so I was forgiving again. I was blessing them. Just praying, Lord, give them everything I want for my family. Give their church everything you want for their church. And that kind of deal. And then as I was settling down in, in that, um, I saw God highlighted in the natural uh, a young boy coming up with his garbage at the river. Um, I, was, I was in my van at this point, and he comes up and he throws his garbage in the garbage can. And then the soft rain starts to fall. And I believe the Lord was just saying to me, I'm healing you right now. I'm pulling that arrow out of you. And you couldn't take this where I want you to go as a leader. And I'm doing this in my love for you. Uh, but then the last thing I saw, Tim, can you put this on the screen? In my rearview mirror, 
Look, I, you probably can't see that. It's kind of small. Can you see that? It says, come home, son, on the wall behind me. <laughs> In my rearview mirror, I read that. Come home, son. And uh, guys, experiencing God's presence is like coming home, whether it's love bombs from Jesus or healing. Uh, him pulling arrows out of us from wounds uh, and any lies that are attached to those. Um, and so, you know, Brian Hafferty says, hidden deep in our wounds is our future calling. Hidden deep in our wounds is our future calling. So I want to close by just sharing a couple other ways to cultivate intimacy with Jesus. Um, of course, when we gather together like this, when we gather together at Upper Room, these are spaces to cultivate intimacy and to come together corporately. Uh, this, I think, is the heart of Jesus, is to come together corporately, uh, primarily. Um, it's that we express our oneness with him and each other, right? In corporate worship, in prayer, and in the Word. Um, personally, um, one way to, to cultivate intimacy is to get into the secret place, to close the door behind you in an empty room, and to practice God's presence. You know what you do when you seek God, as David talked about? One thing I seek, he said. When you seek God in pursuit of him, you cultivate an awareness of his presence. You cultivate an awareness of his presence. And when you cultivate an awareness of his presence, you cultivate, you increase your delight in him. And when you increase your delight in him, he begins to shape your desires. And he begins to shape you into his likeness, right? And so this is what it is to get into his presence. And he loves to be with us. And to meet us, like I said, according to our personalities, according to our sanctification journey, or what, you know, what we need at the time to become more like Jesus. And so, um, I just, I encourage us to do that. And some of, sometimes, you know, someone might get into a room, get silent, and they might start hearing accusatory voices, condemning voices. Listen, if you're in Christ, you have authority to silence those in the name of Jesus. You use the name of Jesus, you silence those voices, and you practice his presence. <laughs> There's no reason anyone can't practice his presence. We have authority, even where there's blocks. Even where there's blocks, okay? Um, one last way I want to mention for now is fasting. You know, Jesus says that when the bridegroom leaves us, um, between that time, his ascension, and his second coming, that's now, these last days, he says, then my people will fast. He says, then we will fast. And he calls it a new wineskin. Like, this is the appropriate thing to do now, is to fast. And he says, it's the new wineskin for new wine. And new wine, as with oil, represents Holy Spirit. I want to exhort us, brothers and sisters, and I want to lead us in this over time and what it looks like to be a culture of fasting, that when we fast and we practice fasting as a spiritual discipline, not to get, just like anything else in our relationship with Jesus, it's not to get anything out of him. It's not to get him to do something for us. It's to increase in our desire for him through our encounters with him. 
he will encounter you increasingly by way of fasting. You know, I was fasting at the river that day. And it might have had nothing to do with my fasting. So I didn't earn anything from Jesus by fasting. I didn't get him to do something. I didn't twist his arm by fasting to do something for me. That's not how God works. But he does speak to what we do to position ourselves to receive what we don't deserve, but what he loves to give. Okay? And so, I believe that's what happened there. Well, in closing, Jesus said, remember and repent. Remember the place from which you fell, he said to the church at Ephesus. What was the place? The place was the gospel. The place was this power of God's love that you experienced and that you walked in and that you were positioning yourself to receive from which you can then give it to others. Jesus says, out from within you will flow rivers of living water from this place. But you've got to receive that river. You've got to receive that river to give what he multiplies as in much fruit. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is my prayer for us now. And, and uh, I just want to pray for us now. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, to know, to encounter the hope to which we've been called, the glorious riches of our inheritance, and the power of the resurrection that works so greatly toward us. Lord, would we not just know that in this moment? Lord God, would we know that as a lifestyle? Would we know that corporately and individually as a culture? Lord God, would we know the height, width, depth, and breadth of your love? Not just now in this moment, but as a lifestyle, corporately and individually, as a culture, as a movement. In the name of Jesus. You know, when we were, we had the opportunity to go to um, Ohio to minister to 40 international workers to the Middle East. It was a high, it was like an honor, a great honor of my life. I mean, what an amazing thing. Do you know why we got to go there? Because of you all. Because, not because you paid for it. What I mean is because the international workers that we're in partnership with, they said, when we come to your church, we experience Jesus' love. We experience Jesus' healing. We want them to get what you've given us. Of course, what we've given them is only what we've received from Jesus. But what an honor. I speak to that, brothers and sisters, because like that's what God's doing here. We need to hear that. I want to encourage us to keep receiving Jesus as first love. When his presence is primary, people are drawn to you. Because people are drawn to Jesus. People love Jesus. <laughs> you know, at that general council I referenced earlier, there was a man in his 90s in a recording being interviewed, and he said, he served in Burkina Faso for decades. And he said, there was a nine-month period that we now call, that our team now calls the baptism of love. He said, God just met us 
in the power of his love in just such great ways. And he said the, the, the true mark of that was we were able to love people like we could never love people before. And I thought that was so beautiful. So simple, the gospel, right? We can overcomplicate this, guys. Let's remain in first love. I said it before. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Well, notice one is a command and the other is the promise. He commands us to abide in him. He promises that we'll bear much fruit.